All right, so Proverbs 29. Yeah, we, um, I don't know the exact time frame that we've gone through the book of Proverbs, but I think it's at least been six months or so, maybe a little bit more than that, something like that. We can, I can look back at it later, but it's been a little while, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it come to a close, and we're going to go to the book of 1 Timothy uh, next. So if I looked at the calendar, if I'm not mistaken, it'll probably be around the first Wednesday in January, we'll start 1 Timothy. And then after 1 Timothy, we'll go to 2 Timothy. Then after that, we'll probably just go ahead and do Titus as well. So 1, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So I'm excited about those books. So Proverbs 29. So what we've been doing, what Pastor Nate likes to do, is we're going to read all of the chapter, 29. And then tonight, we're only going to key in on one verse uh, dealing with the fear of man. So let's look at Proverbs 29. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. That is just such a sobering scripture, right? Yeah, Miss Penny said it's rough. It's true. You just think of somebody who just doesn't listen. Doesn't listen, doesn't listen, but they keep doing the behavior that they know they shouldn't do and they get reproved, but they won't listen. They stay, they're obstinate. There's come a point where there's, um, no, there's no way back beyond healing. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad. But a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice, the king builds up the land. But he who exacts gifts tears it down. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Hmm. Stripping himself up. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression. But a righteous man sings and rejoices. That's, just, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good scripture. How, how, how come the righteous man is able to sing and, and rejoice? Clear conscience. There's just this peace. You have a clear conscience. And so you just whistle while you work. That's what I think of when I read that verse. Whistle while you work. You have a peace in your heart. And then when they're around you, that person has peace in the heart and they're whistling while, while they work, they can get on people's nerves. Why are you so happy all the time? A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. So he doesn't pay to argue with a fool. Let him be. Verse 10, bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Hmm. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Isn't that hard? That's such wisdom. (laughs) A fool gives full vent to what's in his heart and his spirit. Because it's not always good to share everything that's on your heart, right? Sometimes it's a lot better just to keep it to yourself and leave it in God's hands. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Hmm. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. The rod and the reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That's interesting. I wonder why the father was left out. 
I mean, why, well, it's just interesting. I don't have an answer for that, why the father was left out. I would feel shame, too. My son acted with... Hey, go, let's go back to that verse, Chuck. The rod gripped to his own, but the child left himself in shame to his mother. Verse 16. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. Why, well, why not the daughter, too? Huh? <laughs> the daughters get left out. Discipline your son and your daughter, and they will give you rest. He will give the light to your heart. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there's no word of God being declared, people cast off restraint. That's what that picture is. Where there's no word of God, no vision for what's right and wrong, people cast off cast off restraint. They live however they want to live. That's Romans chapter 1. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. You see a man who is hasty in his words, there is more hope for a fool than him. Wow. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. Wow. And this is the verse we're going to focus on for tonight. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. Amen. So I got a question for you. What, what kind of things make you afraid? Anybody ever been afraid? Just throw out some things in your, in your life that just make you afraid or fearful. Say it. Getting shot. Getting shot. Fear of the unknown. That's a big one. Sickness. Losing a child. Yeah. Failure. Uh, anything else? I mean, you could go on forever, right? There's lists of endless things you could be afraid of. Uh, getting in a car wreck on Martin Luther King trying to turn left. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's insane. I know they put that extra light out there to try to help traffic. It helps a little bit. There's a little, there's a little reprieve if you're at the right spot at the right time. But other than that, it's just there's lots of reasons to be fearful. Uh, what, what causes you to be intimidated? Lack of knowledge. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's a good... That's a good thought. Lack of knowledge. When you, when you don't have all the info, you don't have all the facts, you can really just feel intimidated about a situation. Like you don't, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to approach it. And so you can be intimidated by the moment, by a decision that's in front of you because you have a lack of information, a lack of knowledge. Well, we're going to talk about a, a fear that I think all of us deal with in our life to some degree. Some of us, maybe we're a little bit further along in it, but I don't think any of us are ever exempt from this fear. It's the fear of man. And that's what Verse 25 says, it says, the fear of man lays a snare. So the picture here is that there's a fear that we can have in our relationships with other people. Particularly, I would say, with, in relationship, a lot of us can have a fear of, of our relationship with those that are over us, those that are in authority, our boss. And so 
but it, that's not just our boss. It could be coworkers. It could be peers. It could be friends. It can just be a fear that develops in our relationship with them because of their opinions, because of what they think, because of how they relate to us, because of, of many different causes. We can live in a fear of men and their opinion and their feelings. And so as a result of that, then we do and say things that we never thought we would ever do or say. And the fear of man can control people. Anybody ever been controlled by the fear of man? Yeah, are you, am I the only one? Yeah, we've all, I think we, if we get to sit there and we would recount different situations in our lives, sometimes you can feel paralyzed when you're, when you're talking with somebody. You feel like, I just cannot say anything. Or, 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 or you feel like, you know, if I say something, you know, my opinion's going to look silly. And so there's that fear of man that your opinion is not valid. And it's, it's a snare. The fear of man, as it says here in Proverbs, is a snare. And that word snare has the picture of how a hunter would set out a trap. And it's, it's, it's meant to catch you. It's like a trap. The fear of man is a trap, and it trips you up. And it's the opposite of the fear of God. It's the opposite. The fear of man is the opposite of the fear of God. And if we go through Scripture, as I started... We, uh, at our staff, our pastoral staff meeting this morning, we were talking about the fear of man. We just kind of dialogued about that. We started going through a list of men in the Bible that dealt with the fear of man. You've got, you've got Abraham. How did Abraham deal with the fear of man? What, 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 what issue uh, came up in his life? Anybody, can anybody think of it? Sarah was his sister. That's, that's, that's exactly right. But what, what was he afraid of? Kill him because she was beautiful. The Bible says that she was beautiful and that the king was going to take her. So not only did he lie about her once, but he lied about her twice. That's the fear of man. You're afraid that this person has control over your life. And it's, it's, it's a lack of a fear of God. When you have a fear of God, you view God in a, in a way that he is in charge and he's in control and that he is working out the situations in my life. But when you have a fear of man, then you do what Abraham does. You lie. Because you feel like, well, I've got to try to manipulate and control the situation to where something bad doesn't happen to me. It's a fear of man. Uh, Saul. How did Saul? Anybody think back to, to Saul had a lot of issues in his life. But what was one big one that jumped out where he was intimidated and did not fear God, but feared man and disobeyed God? When Samuel, yes, Samuel came, but, but what, what, did, what did Saul not do? The, the Amalekites. God gave a word through Samuel, the prophet, to tell Saul to kill the Amalekites, to utterly destroy them. Everyone, men, women, children, cattle, everything, kill them all. And what did Saul do? He saved, he saved the best cattle and he saved the king. And when Samuel showed up, Samuel said, what, what, what's this sound of the sheep I hear in my ear? Because he, he knew Saul had disobeyed him. There's not supposed to be any of that noise there. And what did Saul say in response to Samuel? He said, the people, the people wanted to make a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And so we saved the best of the cattle. This is a fear of man. You, know, you can be intimidated. God says this is what you're supposed to do. Here is God's commands. Here is 
God's ways. And then you get around somebody and they pressure you and they influence you. And it's a fear of man. And it's opposite of the fear of God. If you fear God, you obey him. No matter what anybody else says. No matter what their opinion is. Even if they have good ideas. Was it a good idea to worship the Lord? Sacrifice to God and worship him? That was a good idea. But you can have a good idea that's a bad idea because it's disobedience to God. And so that's another man in the Bible that showed, that walked into fear of man that caused him to disobey God's command. Another one was Aaron. You remember Aaron was the servant of Moses, his right-hand man. And Moses goes up to the mountain to talk to God. And what happens when Moses is up on the mountain? The people go to Aaron and say, Moses is gone. We need something. We need you to do something for us. We need to have something to worship. We need something to go to. So we need, a go- we, we need an image. And so I just, this is so funny to me. They took all their gold. Women gave up their earrings and their jewelry and the gold that they put in their hair. And they melted it all down and they created a golden image to worship. And then what, what happened when Moses came down? He looks at this and he breaks the tablets and he's all angry and he wants he says god strike him dead these terrible people and he's got to go back up and talk to god god's got to calm him down and 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 but it was the people aaron gave in to the fear of man and so when we give into the fear of man we can become people pleasers and we can we can we can compromise and we can compromise our standards and and the things that we know to be true and so i i, I just want to Talk with us about the fear of man. And I've got some more examples that we're going to look at. Um, and I think the fear of man causes, can, can cause some things in our life. So I've got, I've got two main areas we're going to look at tonight about what I think the fear, if we're not careful, if we, if we do not fear God more than we fear man, there's a couple of areas I think that can be dangerous for us. The first one is this, is that the fear of man can cause us, can cause you to forget God's faithfulness. Have you ever been in a situation like that where it's really difficult and it's really challenging and there's a situation going on in your life and, and it's maybe somebody in your life, maybe it's your boss and they're just being rough and terrible and they're not treating you the way they should treat you. They promised you a pay raise and you're not getting it and you just have a very difficult relationship with, with your boss and, and you can just have this sense that your boss is in control of your life. There's this fear of man. There's this intimidation that's built up there. And so you can feel like, where's God? You can forget about God's faithfulness. You can forget that God has been good to you and faithful and that if he has been good to you and faithful up to that point, that no matter what your boss does, whether he gets you the pay raise or not, whether he treats you fairly or not, whether he responds to you the way you think he should or not, that your life is in God's hand. We are not subject to what man does and what they don't do or what they should do or what they might have done or should have done or could have done. We, I, I don't fear man and their ability to control my future. And so we can find ourselves in situations in our relationships with people. We can, we can feel fearful and intimidated and worried about our future. But if we will remember that God sets kings up and he sets kings down, that God is in control, God knew your life before you were ever in your mother's womb, it says in Psalms 139. And a great example of this for me is Elijah. 
So we're going to do some reading. You guys are going to bear with me tonight. We're going to do some reading. I think there's nothing better to read than the Bible. So we're going to read the Bible about Elijah and the story of the 450 prophets of Baal. You guys remember that's such a great account there. And so you have Elijah, these 450 prophets of Baal, they're mocking God, they're challenging Elijah and challenging the God of heaven. And so they, they, there's this competition between them and between Elijah. And so Elijah says, okay, you set up, this, you set up your altar, you cry out to God and see if you, you, you can get your God to call down fire. And it says that these prophets of Baal, you know, they did all their stuff and they're chanting and they end up get to the point where nothing's happening. They even start cutting themselves. And if you read in the account in Kings, it says that the blood was gushing from their body. Very horrific description of what's going on here. And nothing's happening because their God is not true. It's a false God. And so we pick up the story when Elijah, it's Elijah's turn. The prophets have failed. Now a true prophet of God steps up. Verse 31. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And After that, and after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they had finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he he said, and the water ran around the altar, even filled the trench. He was like, I'm going to show you beyond a shadow of any doubt that my God is real. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. When you describe that as total victory, I mean, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a man, manly competition. You do what you do. We see what happens. And I'm going to do what I do. We'll see what happens. We'll see who wins. And Elijah won. And then he killed them all. It's like Braveheart on steroids, right? I mean, God, God showed himself strong on Elijah's behalf and proved that he was God and that Elijah was his prophet. God was faithful. Think about that. Think about what it took for Elijah to put himself out there, digging the trench, filling it with water, dousing the altar three different times with water, and then he declares into the heavens, God, show yourself faithful. Burn this up with fire. And God came through and God was faithful. A mighty man of God, full of faith and power. You would think nothing could get to him, right? You would think the fear of man and nothing could could intimidate him. Well, we got a fear of a woman that takes place not long after this. You go down, this is, you, you continue down to 1 Kings 
First Kings 19, verse 1 through 4, says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba. Wait a minute. I mean, just think about that. I mean, I laugh just like that when I read, every time I read this story. I mean, God, God just gave him utter victory. And this is a woman. It's, you know, the wife of the king. But so she has influence and power. She just sent a message to Elijah. It scared him. When you give in to the fear of man, you can forget God's faithfulness. You can forget that God is in control. Elijah was afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into, in, alone into, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. The guy is depressed. He's sitting under a solitary broom tree. I don't even know what a broom tree looks like. I just picture a broom <laughs> and he's sitting under it. And he's depressed and he prays. He says, God, it'd be better that I'm dead. Can you imagine what God's thinking? Looking at Elijah. Bro, <laughs> look what I just did for you. And you just got this message and now you want to die? If I was able to deliver into your hands 450 false prophets of Baal and, and brought you great victory. What is this one woman? So then God sends a messenger and tells him to go to a cave. He goes to a cave, and then we pick up this story when he's at this cave. Chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. God, God says, I want to talk to you now. I've got you where I need you, and I want to give you a lesson here about who's really in control. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. This is so important. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, Where, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you here? Why are you running? Why are you running for your life? Why are you here? And you know the message, what the message to Elijah was? The Lord's revelation to Elijah came in a still small voice. God was teaching Elijah that he, God, was quietly and sometimes imperceptibly doing a work in the nation of Israel. Because Elijah was complaining, there's nobody left. It's just me. I'm all by myself. And here I am running for my life from this crazy woman who's trying to kill me. He had forgotten who God was. He had forgotten that God was faithful. And when we forget that, that we can, we can, we can hear, we can hear things that men say. 
We can hear all kind of rumors about, about, what, about what's going on in our culture and all around us and hear how sin is rampant and increasing. But you know what? They can do what they do, but God is still in control. And that whispering voice is a reminder. It's, it's a reminder that you may not, it may not seem like in your life, and it may not seem like in our culture that God is moving, but God is moving in ways that we cannot see. It's in, it's in the whisper. It's in the whisper. God is faithful. He's been faithful. He will be faithful. And I just want to encourage you with that. Don't give in to the fear of man. Don't give in to the fear of what man can do or might do. You know, it may look bad in, in America. It might look bad. And I talked about it on Sunday. It's, it's a, it takes a fight to raise our kids so they don't get indoctrinated by this crazy culture. It may look bad, though. It may look bad, but, but God's at work. God's at work. Don't, don't, don't be discouraged. Don't give in to the fear of man and man's opinion and, and, God, and this godless culture. Remember that God is at work. That's what God was speaking to Elijah. I'm at work. I'm moving. You're, 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 you're looking for the miraculous. You're looking for the earthquake. You want me to do again what I did and destroy, by destroying the prophets of Baal. You're looking for something big and mighty. But I'm telling you, when you don't see it, that's where I'm at. I'm working. I'm moving. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't be forced into the corner. Um, I, I, just, I, I, I just want to press this on you. Don't be forced into the corner with your faith. And God's moving. I feel like I just want to encourage somebody with that tonight. God is moving. God's working. Don't be intimidated. That, you know, that's what Jezebel was trying to do. Trying to intimidate the prophet of God. We're, we're God's prophets. We're all prophets, priests, and kings. We're prophets of God, called to declare the truth of God to our culture, to our city, to this nation. We will not be intimidated. doesn't matter what it looks like. God's moving. Amen? The fear of man can cause us, can cause us at times to feel like that God's not faithful. We can forget that God is moving, that God is faithful. In the face of difficult situations, we can tend to forget that God is still at work, even when we cannot see it. Amen. Second thing I want to look at tonight about the fear of man is this, is that the fear of man, secondly, can cause us, can cause you to compromise your beliefs. It can cause you to compromise your beliefs. Anybody, I mean, there's, there's no shame. I mean, I've done it. We've, we've all done it. Has anybody ever experienced that? I've experienced that. I've been in conversations with people that aren't saved, and you just feel like, man, maybe I'm going to be ridiculed if I say what I really think. And so then you just don't say it. You just don't speak up. Or even, or even worse, you just feel the pressure of ridicule for living a certain way. I mean, I, I remember that probably a little bit more as I was growing up, as I was younger. Um, but it's just a real, it can be a real pressure. And you can just give in. You can have a weak moment. You can give in and you compromise what you really believe. And there's, a, there's a character in Scripture that I think is a great example of this. And that's, that's Peter. Peter. Peter believed that Jesus was the Christ, was the Messiah, was the Son of God. And he made a bold declaration of that. And we see that in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And it says here that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some 
Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to him, but who do you say that I am? You know, just a little side note, that's the question that's been asked since Jesus asked it. And it's the question that is asked of all of all humans that have ever lived or will ever live. Who do you say Jesus is? And a, an incorrect answer to that question can cost you e- eternal life in heaven. Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon Peter was known for being bold and speaking his mind. And what did he say? He spoke up. He said, you are the Christ. What did, what did that mean to him as a Jew, that he is the Christ? Peter was declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the chosen Messiah to come to rescue the nation of Israel. He was declaring that he was the Messiah, the anointed one. That word Christ means the anointed one. You are the Christ. And then he takes it to another, an, another level. You are the son of the living God. You are the son of God. Not only are you, are you the Messiah, but you're the son of God. You are God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Another side note about salvation. How does salvation come? How does a revelation of who Jesus is come? It comes from God. No man comes into the Father unless the Spirit draws him first. God does the saving. Can we save ourselves? Can't do it. God's the one who pursues us, saves us. But my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter made a bold declaration about who he believed Jesus was. He was not shy or intimidated, but he emphatically declared that Jesus was the Christ. And what happened next? What happened later, if you fast forward? He denied him. He denied him. And if you read the multiple accounts of the the denial of Jesus by Peter... Jesus was in eye distance. He could see because whenever Peter denied him the third time and the rooster crowed, it says that Jesus looked at him. And so this is what happened. This is in Luke 22, 54 through 62. It says, then they seized him, seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was with him. I just love that picture. They got a little light and she gets a little closer and looks at him. Wait a minute. I recognize that guy. He's been with Jesus. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, "You you, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, did Peter believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God? He did. But he was under pressure and the fear of man got a hold of him and he compromised his beliefs. He compromised 
his convictions. Why is it that, that we compromise our convictions, what we believe to be true? Why is it that we do it? Just throw out some reasons why. The fear of man, but just more specifically. What are some reasons? Fear of death. Fear of what? Acceptance. What are some reasons why we give in to the fear of man concerning our beliefs? Why is it that we do that? Fear of acceptance, fear of rejection. Say it again. Violence, persecution. Yeah. I think about what it would be like to live in in a time like the early church where the fear of persecution and violence was very real. What would... Put yourself in their shoes for a second. You're a, you're, a, you're a wife or you're a husband. You have children. You believe in Jesus. You've seen the resurrected Christ. You were alive to be able to see him resurrected. You can't deny that. He's Lord. You see him ascend into heaven. How can you deny it? But you live in a time and in a culture where they're going to kill you for that belief. What do you do? How, do, you, do you, that, that fear of man, I can imagine the fear of man, the fear persecution the fear of death would have been an overwhelming pressure i kind of wrote down some reasons why we in our life that don't live under that type of pressure why we would give in to the fear of man concerning what we believe to be true a desire for approval you know you know like you say you're on your job or you're with a circle of friends and you know maybe this group of friends doesn't believe like you believe you just don't say what you really believe you just don't say it and they're asking you and you don't you don't really, you're not really honest with them because you, you desire to, to, to be approved. You, you want to be liked. You don't want to, you don't want to isolate yourself from people. So you just, you just compromise what you believe to be true. Not wanting to be ridiculed. You've, have you ever experienced that? You say what you believe and somebody laughs at you and say, you're so stupid to believe that. Anybody ever had a family member t- tell you that? You believe, you, you believe in Jesus? You believe in this book? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's real? How do you know it's just not made up? And they ridicule you and then and, and make fun of you. So next time somebody asks you if you believe in Jesus and the Bible, you, it's that fear of man. It causes you to, to, to cower in fear, not wanting to be ridiculed. Or maybe you don't speak up and say something because you feel inadequate to share what you believe. You feel inadequate. You feel like, well, I, I really can't articulate it well. I can't I really say it completely like I think I would want to or like the pastor says it feel intimidated we have doubts about what we believe and so we give into the fear of man we don't declare boldly what we believe to be true so i I just want to encourage you with this that god is with you that no matter what anybody says no matter what anybody does we don't have to be fearful about what we believe we don't have to be fearful about declaring what we believe about standing on the truth of god's word god has our back and if, if you don't articulate it the way a preacher does, or you don't get all the scriptures exactly right, look, I, I, I messed up a scripture on Sunday. I messed up a story on Sunday. We were talking about it in staff meeting. You remember on Sunday I talked about Abraham? I talked about how Abraham rescued Lot and how he got 318. I think it was 318. I might be messing that one up right now. Got 318 men to go and rescue Lot. And then I said in Genesis 18, you have the story of Abraham interceding for his nephew Lot. And he prayed for him that God would spare him. 
And then you have the whole conversation between Abraham and God. And, and Abraham says, God, would you please spare? If there's 40 righteous in Sodom, would you spare it? And then he eventually gets down to 10. There's only 10 righteous left. And, and God says, okay, I, I, I will, I'll spare him. And then I said that God, that Abraham went and rescued Lot and his family. But what actually happened? The angels went because the story got crazy at that point. The angels went and the, and, and the men of Sodom kind of went cuckoo and, and it was crazy, kind of disgusting. And, um, and, and, and so that's not what happened. So look, I, I messed up. I didn't get it right. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to get it wrong. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to get it right all the time. If I get it wrong, you can get it wrong, right? But did you get my point? And what was my point about that? Somebody talk to me. Somebody tell me you were listening. No, no, that, that, that's, a great, that's a great point. But what was my point on Sunday? Matt Carnes. What was my point on Sunday when I was talking about Lot and Abraham? It takes a village. And the importance of uncles doing what? Praying for their nephews and aunts. So, so look, did you get the... I, Matt got the point. I'm not sure if anybody else did. Maybe y'all weren't here. <laughs> but, but, but you got the point. And my point is this, is that whenever you're talking about your faith, don't be intimidated. You're not going to get it right. But if you get the essentials correct, that Jesus is God, he was raised from the dead, he died on the cross for your sins, who cares what they say? Don't ever be intimidated by what people might say, say about you. Look, I've, I've had to deal with the fear of man all my life about what I say and how I say it. Just dealing with uh, the, the, a stutter. You know, I, I've, it's been all of my life. I have had to continually deal with the fear of man about that. But God's helped me. I just, if I stutter, I stutter. If I can't get it out, I can't get it out. You know, I just say a different word. Sometimes it takes a little longer for me to say things. Uh, but it is what it is. Because ultimately, God's got my back. We don't have to be fearful. Fear of man, if we're not careful, it can cause us to deny the things we really do believe. And I have such compassion for Peter. He believed it, but he made a mistake. And I love the, I love the end of the story. We're going to get to the end of the story of Peter. So those are the first two areas about the fear of man, areas that I think can influence us, is that we can, we can forget that God's faithful when we look at what man can do to us. And, that, and our culture can try to intimidate us. And, and somebody in your life, a family member, a, a, you know, a loved one, a boss, you can feel intimidated by them and you can forget that God is in control and that they're not. And then, and then just like with Peter, we can deny that we really believe what we do believe because of the fear of man. So those are some dangers. But here's, here's the good news. The good news is this, is that the fear of God leads to courage. When we choose to say, you know, I'm not going to fear man. I'm not going to fear that our culture has taken over this world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fear God. I'm gonna, I, I, I reverence and I honor the God of heaven. And he's in charge and he's in control. And what, you know what that does? It produces courage. Psalms 118.6 says this, The Lord is on my side. Because the Lord is on my side, what's next? I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's supposed to be the next section there. But it's not on there. But that's what's next. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do? do to me psalm 56 1 through 11 it's a few verses here but it's just a wonderful section 
Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, and the attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. And I can picture Elijah right here. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. (laughs) The evil people lurk around corners. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. Anybody ever felt like somebody's looking to get you? They're looking for you to slip up. They lurk around the corners. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know. Sometimes you've got to say that. Yeah, this I know. That God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen? Here's another section. I told you I was going to read a lot of scriptures. Joshua, he takes over from Moses. You think have a little fear of man there? Moses led six million people in the wilderness. you got to take over for an, an amazing leader. Now, Moses had his faults, right? But you're following up a guy who led six million people. So he could have felt intimidated. But listen to, listen to God's word to, to Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of, of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm going to give to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Wow. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. You see the connection with fearing God and courage? If you fear God, you obey obey his commandments. And if you obey his commandments, you have courage. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will, have, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous based upon your fear of me. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. All right. So it's encouraging. But now we're going to see the end of Peter's story. This is Peter. Bold declaration. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then, then, then this is Peter. I don't know the man. I have no idea who you're talking about. And this is Peter. He weeps bitterly. He's repentant over what happened. And then this is Peter. Meets him on the, Jesus meets him on the beach, the resurrected Christ, and says, I want you to feed my sheep. And what's the next thing we see in Peter's life? Book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. 
day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit falls. People start speaking in tongues. And the, the, the outside world in Jerusalem is looking in and they think, man, this is, this is what is going on here. This is crazy. These guys look drunk. What's going on? And somebody's got to give an interpretation about what's happening. They're speaking in languages. Somebody's got to interpret. So, so, so Peter, Peter, the one who was a coward, the one who was a failure, the one who gave in to the fear of man, he preaches a sermon that I'm telling you, if people would preach like this on Sunday mornings in churches across America, we'd have nobody here. Listen to what he says in Acts 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Listen to me. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So what is he doing there? He's saying, Jesus proved himself to you. He's speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem that came in to hear what the chaos was in the upper room. He's saying, God proved himself to you. You should have believed in who he was. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He said, you're guilty. You did it. You should have known. Because he proved himself to you. You crucified him. What boldness. That takes boldness. Here's somebody who was denying that Jesus was God. Then he's looking at the same Jews that might have even been there at the crucifixion. He's telling them, you're the one that did it. You crucified him. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus, God raised up. And all that, all that, we, and all that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, oh, this is so good. This is what happens when the gospel is preached. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love this. When, when we fear God, we can have courage. We don't have to be afraid. We, we don't have to be worried what men are going to say. We, we leave our future up to God. You know, the, the, I'm, sure, I'm sure that message was not received. Well, by, by, by everybody. About 3,000 of them, though, got saved. Isn't that amazing? Peter preached that message and said, you're guilty. It was you. You did it. And they were cut to the heart. And 3,000 people got saved that day. So I just want to encourage us all this evening that we don't have to be afraid of men, of man's schemes. We don't have to be afraid of the devil, the devil's schemes. We don't have to be afraid of, of what he's planning what he's scheming. You have to be afraid of being intimidated or being worried or fretful or fearful. God, God is faithful. He's in charge of our future. We can be bold and be courageous. We can trust him. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for myself and pray for you. You know, we're, we, um, 
I just wanna I just wanna promise you one thing. That you will you're gonna have opportunities to be fearful and to to forget that God is with you. And you're gonna have opportunities to to not boldly declare the truth that you know to be true and what God's done in your life. You're going to feel those moments. You're going to experience this for the rest of your life. But I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray for me and for us that we would just, we would stand solidly on the faithfulness of God and that we would rely upon him. I just think about whenever Jesus told his disciples that whenever they would stand before the magistrates and the authorities to be persecuted, to be questioned, that God would give them the words to say in the moment that they needed to say it. And that's what I want to pray for us. As things do get more difficult in our culture, that whenever we're in a moment of difficulty, that God would fill us with his courage and his boldness and that we could declare the truth of the kingdom. Amen? Father, I just thank you for the truth of your word. God, that, that we don't have to be afraid. Lord, we recognize that the fear of man is a snare and is a trap. But those who trust in you rest safely. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you. The root of fear is a distrust in who you are and your faithfulness. But the root of, of trust, God, is, is, is a fear of you. That we reverence you. We, we recognize that you're in control. And so we trust you. And we know that, that you're not going to leave us. God, as you declared to Joshua, you're not going to leave us or forsake us that we can be bold and courageous. God, I pray that you'd help me, God, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, help me to always be faithful, to declare accurately the truth of your word. Help me to never compromise on what is true. Help me to boldly and compassionately declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would, you would help your, all of us, help your people, Lord, to, to stand on the truth of your word. And God, may, may we all remember your faithfulness. God, and when we do face difficult moments in our lives, whenever we are trying to be intimidated by, by man or by circumstances or by the enemy, that we would not give in to that fear. That you, we would go to your word and go to your truth and encourage ourselves in the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. See you on Sunday.